Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Demetrius Lynch. He's the founder and principal architect at Lines. So, Demetrius, thank you, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Ted. I'm looking forward to this. It's been a while. We were trying to get this going, but finally we were able to make it happen. So, glad to be here. No, it's good. I know. I always see you posting stuff with your various episodes. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, to diving deeper into your uh, background. So the first question I have is, you've been an architect for a while. Is this something that you always wanted to do? Like, what, what were your kind of first sort of dreams as a kid? Like, what, what did you want to be as a kid? At one point, I wanted to be a carpet cleaner. And then what else did I want to be? A couple other random things. <laughs> And then I finally landed on architecture, but it actually stems back to third grade when I was in school. I had a, I went to a unique school that a lot of education on African culture and history, mm. in American history. And one of the classes that we had was ancient Egyptian civilization. Mm. And we went into this whole project as a, as a class where we built a large scale pyramid and we learned a lot of African songs and we did this whole burial ceremony of our made-up king who was like a, a G.I. Joe that we built as a mummy. But we did this whole ceremony and procession um, after we built the pyramid. And it was a pretty cool project where you know we have the, the foresight of pyramid, but we made it so that the inside could actually knit up and there was like a out base with a glass bottom and you could see this pathway that you would go to like the actual tomb within the pyramid so we created this whole thing and had this procession and ceremony and and in this project we learned about the history around pyramids and certain individuals and one was Imhotep was in certain circles considered a god of architecture and in my third grade third grade brain I was like I could be a god (laughs) (laughs) so it just kind of that was probably one of the early scenes and then uh, throughout my life I had been pretty good at drawing and loved math and at some point a counselor kind of said you know those two things make architects (laughs) so I think around 10th grade or so I started to really think about it seriously and kind of go down that direction and been committed ever since and kept going <laughs> yeah i mean when you take it from an educational background to the real world of architecture what sort of things did you learn early on that were kind of different from what the theory was yeah extremely different. <laughs> architecture in school is not like architecture in real life and, and i think it's mostly the constraints of reality budget zoning codes, all those different various things of reality that have no real, I mean, they have some classes that have some of that instituted, but are implemented. 
but it's not like real life at all. And you have like these elaborate concepts that you come up with in studio and in school, and you just don't really get that opportunity in real life unless you're under one of the architect companies like Saha Hadid's company or Frank Gary or you know some of those that have built a career where they can express these crazy concepts and things like that. But usually it takes a while to even get to that part <laughs> much later in your career. So I'm, I'm quite a ways away from even getting to explore some of the stuff that I did in school and real life. Yeah, so, so so there was no class of all the things that could go wrong on a project? <laughs> yeah, that too. I have so many stories just off of a project I'm working on now. Crazy. <laughs> it's not, uh, it's yeah, definitely not reflective of reality. Yeah, so what's what are the, some of the things that can go wrong that commonly happen in general? One of the big things that I tend to deal with is Working with the city officials, building inspectors, they tend to have their own preferences and things that, that they like or don't like. Sometimes it's based in actual code. Sometimes it's their interpretation of the code that's not reflective of my opinion of what the code says. So you have to sometimes have conversations to sort of come to some understanding and middle ground or figure out exactly what their issue is. and help mitigate whatever the issue is that they have just to move the project along. And the other thing that I think is probably a big one is coordination between teams. It's extremely, it's, it's probably one of the more common issues because buildings have gotten so much more complex over time that you have to have all these various teams and expertise, experts approaching the project or the problem from various different perspectives and making sure that everyone's doing the same thing, working in the same direction can be difficult to wrangle sometimes. So that's just something that takes a lot of attention to make sure that everybody's moving in the same direction. Mm, yeah, so you mentioned the interpretations of the code. I guess it's important to have a lot of local knowledge of of the areas outside just what's written in the code to really be able to navigate that. Yeah, especially LA. LA is notoriously difficult in our area. It's just a big machine and they have lots of inspectors that within them look at things differently, but they also have, we just like a running joke amongst a lot of people that work in LA, but within the city, they have these bulletins, they're called bulletins of documents that are circulating within the within the plan check community there. But it's not anywhere that is really apparent that you would know to go check. And you don't see it until whichever plan checker takes issue with it. And then they show you this bulletin like, well, I would have never known this. And you have to try and navigate that bulletin, whatever it is, get past whatever the hangup is. Well, so you're designing a project, there's certain costs involved, and then last minute there could be something that's not apparent, you run into the issue, and then it's a it's a difficult conversation to try to navigate that so your client doesn't get burned 
and you can make this happen. Yeah, yeah. And one of the project types that, that we ran into a lot of this with is uh, it's something called small lot development, where you're basically building buildings very close to each other, like less than a foot. And because it's sort of a new product type within the area, there's a lot of figuring it out on the fly. So that's where a lot of these bulletins have come into place and their interpretation of how to handle these projects. So it's just kind of a learning process, especially with some of these newer type of projects because we're completely out of, well, not completely, but we're running low on land here. So people are getting creative, developers are getting very creative with how they approach the projects and the city has to sort of adapt. Oh, I guess. So that there's, and on top of the fact that there's lots of these un bulletins that people don't have access to, there's new bulletins being created for new things that come up because of the creativity that's happening. Yeah, exactly. Ah, interesting. That is, yeah, it is definitely, I guess, has a lot to do with working with someone that's navigated this before. If they've done a certain project in an area, there's a greater chance and that, that they know the inspector that would be in charge and, and be able to sort of navigate that project well because they've been through the headaches, quote, quote unquote. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're approaching a project and definitely want to try to find someone that's been through it before, because like you said, when you go through all of the headaches, you know what to look for the next time you go through. Like one project that I'm dealing with right now is plaza and i think we've probably had the hardest time of anyone <laughs> dealing with the inspectors just kind of crazy situations so next time around if i get to work on another project within that plaza i know what could possibly not saying that it will be an issue but i know what could be an issue and i can make sure to mitigate that as well in advance you don't have that problem yeah for sure now one of the themes in your podcast, your series I see coming out is you're looking at you know, ways for you know, trades and designers to work closer together. So yeah, I know you've talked to a lot of different people about this. I mean, what are the, some of the themes that come up in terms of the design community working better with the trades? The biggest thing is really just understanding what each other are going through. And there has been a lack of that historically. You know, everybody assumes their job is other people's jobs are easier. So they sort of harbor these feelings of like, why didn't this person do that? And that tends to, there just creates this friction and lack of understanding of each other's past and, and the effort that they're putting in to manage the work that they have. So what we're trying to do is just create a platform where each different trade designer come in and talk about what it is that they do, some of the pain points that they run into and opportunities or issues that they may run into with trades or other designers. So we had a few people that talk about, there was a civil engineer that talked about the designers not understanding what it's really like in the field. And that kind of, goes into another tangent of how we train our, our people coming in, but not understanding what happens in the field. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things on the designer to trade side is designers not knowing exactly what they're drawing is 
creating in the field, whether it be a process of how things come together, actually what you're drawing, if it really works. So those sort of things. So that, that kind of comes back to how do we train our designers earlier on because the younger staff are, are the ones that are doing a, a lot of the work, but they don't understand what they're drawing. So uh, how do you how do you get them up to speed or how do you shift some of that work around to make sure you're putting out good project or good product to build off of? Yeah. I mean, so on the other side of coin, you know, the trades have these sort of challenges with uh, what about the designers with the trades? What what is the, the trades not understand or the disconnect? From the opposite direction, yeah. there's there's a lot of trades that actually looking through the drawings. So there are there's details, there's information there, but in the field, people tend to pick up a few sheets that they think are applicable to them rather than looking at the, the entire project to understand how things are gonna to come together, that there are details in the back or, or whatever the case is, they don't look at the whole picture. So they, they hone in only on their particular scope and it's sort of tunnel vision. And sometimes that can't go together exactly the way that they think that it should or in their mind kind of feel like it should be laid out. So there's a little bit of disconnect there. So a lot of that, a lot of what I have seen is that people just tend to not understand what's in the set and all the information that's provided. So they tend to send you a bunch of phone calls and say, oh, that I didn't see that. That information's not here. And like, well, because you looked at page whatever, <laughs> details there explains exactly what to do. They're like, oh, okay. I didn't know that was back there. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. I can visualize what you're talking about. I think I experienced that firsthand sometimes day in and day out. So I know what you're talking about. Now, you've created, you're an architect, but you've also do podcasts and create a lot of media. How is that fitting together? I'm always curious when people are you know, working on content and engaging the community and, and developing that out. But how is that all working together for you? So that question can go a couple different ways. Do you mean physically how I make it happen or how is it working as a system? As a system. Okay. So as a system, they kind of work together in that I'm doing a lot of exploration with the podcast, talking to a lot of people. So it's broadening my scope and my understanding of our industry as a whole exponentially. Every episode I do, every season we finish I understand things so much more that I can apply to my business as well as all the other podcasts that I listen to. But I think that helps me as in a business front and how I approach putting a project together. There's certain little things that I learn talking to people that are in the field and understanding what their pain points are. So now I'm trying to figure out, like we were just talking about, Trace not seeing the full scope of their project, how do I reconstruct my set to bring all the information that they need to a few pages that they can break out? You know, if the concrete guy's just looking at the slab, how do I get all of that information that he needs to that one section? We try not to duplicate information because if something changes, you have to chase that through the set. 
So how do I make it happen where a piece can be broken out? But if that information also needs to be shared with another trade, how do you get that to replicate throughout without duplicate too much? So a lot of that is sort of in a planning process and trying to figure it out. But going through this podcast has helped bring a lot of that to my attention and a lot of it further down the line of actual execution. But that's one front. And then the other front is uh, it does get my name out there. People do stumble across me through the podcast and I have gotten work off of it. So it kind of works on two fronts. Yeah. So from a high level trends perspective, you may have touched on some of this. What from the design side, where do you see things going? I mean, sometimes when you, for, from my perspective, when you see magazines, you see very glossy things on that are happening. But like, what, what are the key trends that you're really tracking going forward? So things, it's kind of hard to say because things are, as you know, are moving very fast right now. <laughs> like it, it feels like everything, every single topic you can think of is moving extremely fast. So it's hard to really know exactly what's going to shake out for sure. I think some big markers to pay attention to efficiency is huge. How do you deliver a project? much more efficiently, both time, cost. So there are a lot of products that are coming to the market, prefabricated homes, prefabricated units that will plug into a hotel building, things like that that are happening. The other, one of the other topics is adaptive reuse. Now that we understand that we can work from home in a lot of roles, what happens to office space and some of the in some buildings that may shift completely and not use whatever the building was that they, they used to. Now what happens to those buildings? Can we turn those into housing or some sort of community space? How do we salvage those without having to demo or waste a bunch of stuff that's already out there? So I think those are two things that are going to be huge. Then technology obviously is changing daily. <laughs> So it's hard to, to know what exactly is going to be the one to rise above rest, but there's a lot of things happening on the technology front of different companies that are making moves. So just keeping an eye out on, on those, trying to see what works best for your company and the processes that you have, just paying attention there. Yeah, for sure. No, you make some good points. Now, I'm an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs always go through adversity. What sort of adversity have you faced? Oh, wow. <laughs> How do I uh, give you a couple? <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the biggest things, I'll just, I'll give you this one. This is the biggest one for me is patience. And in, from the lens of where social media tend to see a lot of what other people are doing you don't really you don't really understand how much time they've actually put in so they come on your radar when they're you know nearing completion and, and really being big but it appears that they came out of nowhere and it only took a year to get to where they are but in reality like i'm looking at one particular business for example i got an opportunity to look at some their documents, they've just hit my radar in 
2020, I think, with some older doctors for like 2003. So they've been at this for so long. And I'm sure there are points where they were like, ah, this is stupid, this is going nowhere. I should just quit and go back and work for my old boss or whatever. So I think patience is a huge thing to understand that everybody's journey is not going to be the same. It's going to be long. It's going to be difficult. So you'll see other people, but you have to sort of refocus and understand that they probably have been working at this for a long time. So you're just at the beginning stages. It's going to be a while that it take those small steps and get there. So constantly reminding myself is uh, a constant battle. So that's so true i think even if you know it for a second it's easy to slip back into like oh i i need to do more and there's just no end to more for sure i totally understand what you're talking about and i i hear people say i don't like my boss i'm gonna start a business and i think oh no (laughs) (laughs) please don't if that's the reason yeah not the right motivation at all. It's a lot tougher as an entrepreneur. So where, where do you see all the stuff you're doing going? Because you have a lot of things that you're involved in. Yeah. So the tree is, I, I have my architectural practice as lines. From that, I have the Basis Podcast, which is sort of a, a media outlet of learning and, and exploring and sharing all this just different information about the building industry. And then I've also co-founded Able Media, which is sort of a expansion of that idea of sharing knowledge through through media podcasting and basically created a network of creators that are doing a lot of podcasts right now. I think we have eight a majority of them are sort of in the architecture vein, but anybody in the industry find something from those and they vary and vary in vary in topics from technology practice to day-to-day marketing and uh, just the business stuff so you can find anything there but we're trying to gear it towards the ADC industry and, and that's sort of a, a bigger platform of trying to shift the conversation of art industry because I've found that if you look at the landscape of media and tied to professions, majority of professions are presented in this very romantic way. And it shows that these professions are very difficult and people are very willing in real life, are willing to spend the money on doctors and lawyers. They see them all glamorized on on TV or or whatever the various outlets are. For us, you very rarely get the AEC person presented in a media form. And if you do, it's either very complicated where no one understands what's going on and they kind of lays over, or you have the other end of like HTTP where it presents what we do is very easy and summed up in half an hour. So everybody Know, feels like they can do it on their own, which devalues our industry. So we're trying to build something that presents our industry a little more accurately and talks about the day-to-day grind and 
moving things one inch to make it a little bit better to the large concept and that presents a project that moves something for the, the client. So we're trying to do that and that represents our industry a little bit better. Wonderful. Yeah, I mean, what's the um, best piece of advice you've received? Well, the, the advice that I received was uh, that kicked this off, I will say is the best so far, was that the pain, something along the lines of the pain of staying, and the pain of staying becomes greater than the pain of leaving, then you'll leave. And I think that's kind of true to life. When, when it comes to making a change, you have to really be in tune with whatever you're dealing with. If it becomes so painful that you're like, I'm just going to take the risk, I'm willing to take the risk. You hit that threshold and just to be mindful of I'm willing to take a risk rather than do the same thing over and over again. I think that was one of the things that kind of kicked off my my new phase of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, is there anything that I haven't asked you that that I should have covered? The way that you phrased that, it makes me think of so many different things. <laughs> <laughs> The buffet, right? I don't yeah. know. Pick one. Uh, What's something that you, that you you want to mention? I think one one other thought that I will share is that if you're approaching whatever task or or project or, or anything like that, I think one of the biggest things that I've understood over time is you know you can realistically only get one to two things done a day, and with the way that technology has advanced to having emails and direct message and Slack and all these other things that people can get a hold of you immediately. Those, all those things are their task list on their time. They want a response right now and, and everything. You have your task list and you have to prioritize your task list. I do this every day. You know, I, I write out what my list is. I do one, two, three, all the way down. I focus, I'm going to get at least one and two done today. And then all the other stuff is when I can get to it. So I think managing that is probably one of the biggest things to try to grasp as early as possible. I know it's super hard with email and direct message, but kind of make sure that you on those one or two things today. Uh, yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, these are some fundamentals that I can, I think, always that get lost in all the tactical advice, but I think fundamentals are fundamentals for a reason. So thank you, Demetrius. Great background, great experience. I love all the things that you're exploring and I appreciate you uh, sharing your insight today. Thank you so much, Seth. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. I also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Cats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes, entrepreneurial tips, and more. See you over there.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.